Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Utah Film Pod. My name is Josh Terry. I'm here with Danny Hatch and with Mark LaRocco. <laughs> and we're finally going to follow through on a promise, aren't we, guys? <laughs> we're right. doing it, finally. <laughs> we've, got, uh, we've got some really fun stuff we've been excited to talk about for a while. Uh, we do have some other stuff to talk about first. But before we even get to the formal stuff, how about the informal, how are you guys doing? <laughs> doing well. Doing Good. well. Good. Good. It's. Uh, I guess we're officially kind of into the summer now. Like it feels like. I know that summer. Don't they say is it like Jan or June twenty first is the official. Like when you know I don't know if it's an equinox or you know whatever the yeah the thing is it's, but. Uh, yeah, we have. This I always just. Did we say this last time? No, in our house it's like because the kids get out of school for summer at the end of May, beginning of June. Yeah. Yeah, you know, and yeah. which is which is earlier than normal. Um, it's about it's about normal, I think. But it's yeah, you're right. Summer doesn't officially start till June 21st. So yeah, but by spring. then it yeah. feels like halfway through summer. I know, right? I know. Which is why I've never thought of that as the real start of summer. Yeah, right. exactly. And, and so, well, and and it's all been a kind of a fog for me because normally, like my transition from spring semester into summer, if I'm teaching, feels muddled anyway. But mm-hmm. this year. Uh, being sick as well, I just kind of like had this quarantine fog mm. of uh, kind of a brain fog that I finally feel like I'm emerging from. And uh, now I'm I'm just I'm just here and I'm ready to embrace summer. And <laughs> we were already, you know, I'm I'm gonna go see Top Gun again. I haven't scheduled it, but I'm definitely gonna go see it <laughs> again. Oh, you gotta, you gotta. Got some of this other some of this other fun stuff to do. But uh, in the min in the meantime, there is well, there is a little bit of news, right? I mean, Danny, what's a uh, you mentioned you mentioned that you had some some breaking news. <laughs> well, that, uh, <laughs> I actually do just hot off the now. press. Yeah, no, this is so funny because um, first thing I saw this morning actually was that Utah Film Commission posted that Con Air premiered on this day, which when we're recording this is June six, <laughs> twenty five years ago, and um, wow. it was so fun because what they posted was one of those collages, of course, where like people will hold up a picture from the movie and. It, okay. Right in front of the the backdrop, the actual Utah backdrop, and it that one was really fun. Like they were showing some stunts, or you know, just Nick Cage with his flowing locks, um, <laughs> and yeah, I just I I thought you know all things considered, like with uh, his new movie out and our whole episode dedicated to him. What was that? Two three episodes ago or something? So yeah, important yeah. stuff. So now, what part of Con Air did they film here? Because I don't, I don't remember them being. Were they on the Salt Flats at any point? I haven't seen Con Air. Still. Or is it more just kind of the big, wide open desert? It was a lot of like Mark, big, wide open I, desert. Yeah, I don't okay. remember uh, I, wh- where they filmed that, but it's interesting that they chose June six because that's also D Day, June six, nineteen forty four. That's what it's more famous for. Aha. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So maybe the Con Air producers did that on purpose. Probably I'm sure not, they did, though. Mark. It's, I'm it's sure that that movie. was the first thing on their mind was, <laughs> you know, we have we have this big blockbuster starring Nicolas Cage, and it's about Nick Cage on a convict-filled airplane in the desert. Nothing else speaks to D-Day than than this. It would have made more sense for the Saving Private Ryan producers to to do that, right? Just, I wonder if just they a did. Bit. Did they? Just a bit. Did they? Oh, let's see. Here. I can't remember when Saving Private Ryan came out. I mean, I remember it was like 1998, wasn't it? Yeah, it was in 98. Um, huh. I don't know what the this 
when it opened. But yeah, oh, it's July twenty fourth. Okay. Okay. But yeah, that is interesting. That is interesting. Hmm. Okay, so so the Utah Film Commission is celebrating Con Air, <laughs> which on D Day, <laughs> you know, good for them. Yeah. Well, and then something else um, that's been going around is just that uh, Sundance Institute is hosting the Best of Sundance Film Festival screenings this summer, June through July, in Salt Lake and some of the counties. Um, so in case you missed those, those will be available if you check out their website, social media pages. Um, you can reserve seats for that. Um, so it, it does seem, and they're saying we're doing it again. So I think it's just, you know, kind of, you know, they're taking what worked out last year from having to do everything virtual. And right. I think they did like outdoor showings, was it last year? And that's kind of what it looks like they're doing here too, just to be safe with COVID. But So now are they, when you say best of, is it just the best of like the films from this year or is it past Sundance festivals? Um, I believe it's this year. Okay. Okay. No, that's, that's good to know because... I mean, I could definitely see how people would like to go see some of the kind of the best of Sundance from the last I mean, 20, 30 years, you know. Maybe. That's a great but, question. Uh, I, I just assumed on that. That could be the case. Yeah. But. Well, if we gave them an idea, they can thank us later. Pay <laughs> <laughs> so, so I, I want to circle back on that Con Air thing. Is that all right? Please. Okay. You know, so, can have... you can we ever get enough Con Air, really? <laughs> so I have, I have, I'm not going to call it breaking news because it's an article from June 8th, 1997. <laughs> but Jeff Bice reported that the producers of Con Air chose the Salt Lake City and Ogden airports and a deserted airstrip in Wendover that, ah, that okay. filming took place in. Um, and it's noted yeah, in the Con Air production notes. And so the Salt Lake International Airport tarmac filled in for the Oakland, California airport. Um, and they uh, temporarily housed a fictional U.S. Marshal's office. So, okay. yeah, it was the airports, basically, that, that were used in Utah. Which was, which was at least the second time that the Salt Lake airport was used in a major film. Because, as I recall, wasn't Dumb and Dumber part oh, of that also I, filmed I there? Yeah. Um, I didn't know about the airport. That's that's, that's one of the funny, funniest yeah. scenes too. <laughs> Falling off the the jetway. Uh, uh, Dumb and Dumber. <laughs> yeah, was, uh, I guess that technically was a movie. I think I think they, I, if I recall uh, a few months ago when we, I told you that was one of the funniest movies I've ever seen. I think you almost disowned me as a friend. <laughs> almost, almost. I'm not that. I'm. You know, I'm not that merciless. <laughs> well, that's that's some that's definitely some uh, some good news, some useful news. Now, uh, <laughs> now I think uh, we've also been kind of excited about. So we don't really have any movie reviews this week, um, although we are kind of in the midst. There's there's some big stuff coming soon, um, but we 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 recently mentioned that uh, there are some streaming series that we're both kind of or that we're all three are all kind of excited about. Mm-hmm. And so one of them I think is still in the process of releasing episodes. So we're going to kick that down the road a little bit. Um, and kick it. I shall, be- but you know, that's okay. Uh, yeah. I was going to say like, I, <laughs> I do, I kind of want to wait and see if it gets better before I review it. Right. That's, that's kind of one of, yeah. But uh Stranger Things, at least volume one, right? Because there's the first mm-hmm. seven episodes and then two more episodes are coming out at the beginning of July. Yep. 
Um, but the first seven are out. We're not, of course, you know, we're not going to give away everything that's happened in all seven. But I think that uh, given given the timeliness of it and given our subject matter to come, it might be nice to take a few minutes and talk about Stranger Things. So now, so Mark, you haven't watched all seven episodes, right? I have not. I've only watched the first one. Um, okay, so, so why, don't, why don't you kick us off? Let's Let's start with you. So that you can kind of lead in and, and give us a sense of like where you're at, okay. And that maybe maybe that can kind of help because, like I said, the, the the tough thing with these streaming series is that you want to talk about things over the course of the series, but you also don't want to give away too much, especially because like episodes end on cliffhangers to lead into other episodes, and so right, right. It's That's, kind of it's kind of a tricky thing to review. Yeah, I so I mean, first of all, the episodes and for people who watched it so far already know they're very long. So when I saw yes. that the first episode was an hour and 18 minutes, I just assumed that was, uh, they were just going to do an extra long season opener for yeah. some reason. And then when you guys told me, no, that's pretty much how all of them are, that's one reason yeah. I haven't been able to get to the other ones yet. Um, but it really does start where uh, the characters have been separated, kind of for the first time in the series, at least living in different states and possibly different countries, as we now know that one of the major characters is <laughs> right. in Russia. Um, and and then, you know, you get this narration, and I like this because I think they're, maybe this will lead into what we're talking about a little bit later, but they play California Dreamin' while um, Eleven is narrating her letter uh, that, that kind of describes how her life is going in, in California. Yeah. Um, and, she, and she's moved, I mean, just for clarification, yeah, so she is, at the end of the last series... She and the Byers family, right? You got Will and Jonathan and, oh my gosh, I forgot uh, Winona Ryder's character's name. Joyce. Joyce, yeah. So so they have taken Eleven under their wing and the four of them have moved out to California mm-hmm. and everybody else is still back in Hawkins. Right. right? Yeah. So go, go ahead. Yeah, yeah. And, then, and so then, you know, we learned that there's, for the most part, the characters aren't... I mean, they're growing up, so it's kind of a coming-of-age... Let me back up. In the Harry Potter series, it starts out very kind of innocent, and there's a lot of childlike wonder, and it's just this magical world that Harry's being introduced to, and he's basically just a little kid. I mean, he and Hermione and Ron, you know? And, and as we watch them grow up, each movie, in a way, kind of grows up. It's not just yeah. the kids that are growing up, it's the movies that are growing up, and they're getting darker more thematically serious and a little bit more violent. There's a lot more stakes, you know, and it's kind of bigger things that are happening um, compared to like the the openers. And I kind of feel like Stranger Things, and I've only seen the first episode, so you guys may correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems to be getting a little darker, a little more violent, a little more, a little gorier. And the, the characters are really going through a lot of, not just, you know, trauma with all of the supernatural elements going on, but just, becoming older teenagers and, you know, yeah. struggles there. Like, for example, the relationship between uh, Max and, I can't remember his name, but her former boyfriend. Oh, um, oh uh, Lucas. Team. Lucas. Yeah, yeah, he's on the team now. They, um, you know, she's can't be honest with her, with this, you know, the, the, the officials yeah. the, at her school. And, and, um, and she is, she has fully embraced her teenage angst. Right. She, she appears <laughs> whereas, to have done that. Yes. Whereas whereas Lucas is now like you say, he's kind of like 
bursting into the 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 fringes of popularity uh-huh. he's like a, he's on the basketball team he's kind yeah. of he's definitely growing up he's he's you know kind of on the mm-hmm. on the 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 good side of puberty and, uh, and this and this it's is been favorable to him. Yeah. yeah 11 doesn't have her powers right that's like kind of the key thing is that she she starts off this series and she does not have her her powers which is causing problems in her California school because she's getting bullied because she's so she's still I mean she's obviously like come a long ways from from where she you know was when she was at the lab but she's still like she's still kind of like struggles kind of with her speech and things and so she's having a real tough time and she wants to lash out against these you know kind of like these mean girls uh, but can't you know and then back back in Hawkins there's kind of similar similar tensions where you know the whole community seems to be trying to recover from this uh you know this shared trauma that they've all been going through over these last few years right because it's not just the kids it's like the whole town has been kind of reeling from this it's a small enough community yeah and then and then you have the AD&D kids or the D&D I don't know I and this is kind <laughs> of funny AD&D cuz I used to play AD&D Advanced Dungeons and Dragons I'll admit oh. I was I was wow. uh, an AD&D kid. I had all the dice, 20-sided, 30-sided, 100-sided See, I thought dice. you were referring to ADD, not AD&D. <laughs> yeah, they, they, may have they, that was a, they may have that, accurate. too. I don't know. But, I... but they definitely have AD&D. Um, do they, I can't remember. In the series, do they just call it D&D or Dungeons & Dragons? I can't I, I think remember. it's just regular Dungeons & Dragons. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, I, I was, I was you know, I'm gonna, I was well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna say something here that I'm sure is gonna shoot me in the foot with at least some portion of the audience. But <laughs> for all of the effort that Stranger Things and episodes of of shows like like Community and there was there was some other one, because it seems like there's really been a lot of effort to kind of feature Dungeons and Dragons in kind of our contemporary pop culture, and as much as it's been featured still have zero interest like mm-hmm. no role-playing game interest whatsoever i still just kind of look at it and just think i just don't get this i'll have to, in- I'll have to invite you to one of our sessions then well mm. yeah i don't know is i it, don't know is that what mythic quest is about there's a tv show on i think it might be on apple tv that it may just be something that sort of makes fun of that, but I, anyway. Um, yeah. So yeah. sorry, Mark. I keep cutting you off. No, no, it's okay. Um, anyway, I I don't know. Like, I'm not I'm not just gonna keep like trying to give away the plot, but um, it it you know it picks up where the other left off, and it, it I guess it's near the end of the school year. I think it's in March or so of. of it's spring break. Yeah. Oh, yeah. spring break. It's spring right. break. Right. Um, but yeah, I don't. I mean. I don't have a lot more to kind of say about it because I, I do want to keep watching the, the the other episodes, but let's hear your take on it. What stood out to me about the first episode had to have been just the worst possible timing for an opening scene I can remember mm-hmm. ever uh, because it, it, there's a there's a flashback to, I think it was 1979 is when it's supposed to be, like four years before the Stranger Things, you know, official kind of timeline started. And and Eleven is involved in this mass murder in in the lab with involving all the other uh, all the other kids and the uh, you know a lot of the the aides and and the people working there and of course it's set up kind of in this ambiguous way so we don't know exactly what's happened and that's kind of what 
a lot of the series is going to be about is determining what exactly caused this. But my gosh, I mean, going through that opening scene less than a week after this very, you know, heinous tragedy. And then, and they run, you know, to their credit, they ran a warning at the right. beginning of it. But, geez, I, I mean, I can't imagine what, what they were thinking as far as now we've got to run this right now. Are you serious? Like, because people have been waiting for this series to come back for yeah. years. I mean, has it been like three years since the last Stranger Things? But bet, yeah. yeah, I mean, like, and you're, you're referring to the Uvalde, Texas shooting, yes. right? Yeah. 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 So, so I don't know, Dan, Danny, was that, did, I mean, did that jump out to you as, as, in as, as defining a way as it did to me or? I don't know. I think I was just kind of cautious anyways, approaching this season. Cause I really, really liked this show. And I think as I was watching it, I, I was able to remember how much I love this show. Right. And mm-hmm. I, I just, I, I remember I had um, a remote in my hand, like for most of the time we were watching where it's like, because I get, I just get so queasy with like gross stuff and everything. Like we talked about this before with Doctor Strange. I'm not into horror or anything like that, right? Yeah. And so, I don't know. I think I was kind of like shielding anyways um, from a lot of that stuff. But I, I don't know. I think it's done in a very like it's obviously supernatural things going on. And I wonder if that maybe helps. But it is still pretty graphic, and so. But, you know, that's that's the point is like this, like, and, and that's why, you know, tragedies like school shootings and everything are just so awful. Because, like, it's one of the worst things that can ever happen is just like mass slaughter of children. Right. And mm-hmm. so, like, I think, you know, that's why they use this in the show, because it this was a very horrible, tragic event that happened. Right. Yeah. And so and it's sad when, you know, we, we see things like that mirroring in reality because it, it is just an awful thing but that's why mm-hmm. we kind of have those reactions to it is because it's just it's so awful so. yeah well and it it ties in as well with what you know i think mark what you were referring to and that the show is all re- i mean the show has always been creepy scary yeah. you know pretty pretty violent you know uh it's, it's always been at least at like at the pg-13 level right yeah yeah, yeah. um and I'd say but it still even, kind of is PG. And it is, right. Yeah. But even but even within that spectrum, it is getting progressive progressively more dark, more violent, more adult, as the kids are getting more adult, you know. Yeah. And and so I do have to admit that, you know, and again, without without giving any anything away specifically, the first couple episodes, I was a little bit okay, well. I'm really glad to have Stranger Things episodes to watch, and it's I'm glad that they're giving me so much material, right? Because these episodes are so long. But it took me a couple episodes to really kind of embrace this season, and I am happy to report, and I'm sure, Mark, this will be good news for you, <laughs> that it gets it gets better as it goes along. Yeah. Um, not necessarily that it started badly. In fact, I wouldn't even really say it wasn't like the the gory factor that made me as apprehensive at the beginning. Um, so much as something else I'm going to mention here in a second, but, but overall, by the time you get to the end of this volume one series, it feels like it's, it's fun, stranger things that we've always kind of known and loved. Um, the one thing that I think is, is going to become a struggle. And I, I should have looked this up beforehand because I think there's actually been an article about this. There might be a little bit of controversy. Um, but one of the things that I thought was really kind of 
frustrating about the first couple of episodes is that there are so many characters. <laughs> and I mean, there were a lot of characters by the end of the last season. Uh-huh. And this first episode introduces what, like a half a dozen additional, fairly significant characters. And you're just kind of, okay, well, this is why these episodes are so long is because they have to tie together all these threads. That's I mean, probably it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and not as many of the characters are together. So there's three different subplots, yeah. or four different subplots going on. And so right. each one right. is 20 minutes. That's, you know, almost an hour and a half. So, yeah, yeah I, now, I, again, I agree. I'm, right. And, and, and again, I'm, I'm happy to say that by the end of the series, this, you know, part one, whatever we want to call it, um, it didn't feel quite as laborious, but, but it is an issue that, uh, I think is going to be something to deal with as the, the show, you know, because they've been, they've been consistently adding a couple of like Max, you know, was, mm-hmm. I think that was beginning of season two mm-hmm. and, and she's great. Like she's, she's awesome. Um, her, her storyline is probably my favorite in this season. Yeah. Really well, and her. one other thing I wanted to mention you know, back in Hawkins, because we, we talked about the California, you know, storyline. But mm-hmm. back in Hawkins, the the new threat is that these troubled kids, including Max, are being targeted by like this new demon. Right. And they seem yeah. it seems to be zeroing in on kids who are having specific issues and trauma and, and, and PTSD type of stuff. Mm-hmm. And like I remember I remember watching the new version of it a few years ago and thinking, Oh, this just kind of feels like an R-rated Stranger Things in a lot of ways, right? But yeah. then this new season of Stranger Things almost feels like a, like a, a reflection <laughs> back because yeah, because now the characters and this is where some of these new characters are being introduced are some of these these kids that have like these really traumatic pasts and I mean, isn't that kind of the whole because I'm I'm no Stephen King authority, but like as I recall, it is basically like the Pennywise targets the kids for their traumatic mm-hmm. vulnerabilities. Right. And right. so it's, inter- it's, it's, there's a close kinship here and, and probably intentional, I would, I would think, but mm-hmm. for the for the sake of moving on, maybe we can kind of focus in on her a little bit because I think she really is one of the, not, not just one of the best parts of this season, but really kind of, a central uh, something part. that's featured. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, it really, yeah. it really is. Yeah. Um, I really liked this season though, like a lot because I think, and this, this is just, you know, really smart on the showrunners part where I think they really paid attention to what worked well in the previous seasons and really focused in on those kind of elements. And then maybe a little less in some other areas. Um, so, you know, when it comes to all the different characters, like, it didn't feel laborious at all because, like, I really enjoyed all of these characters and how they're used. I like some more than others, for sure. And there are some that were kind of put off to the wayside that were favorites in other seasons. But if you look at, like, the central core storylines, like, it's most of the favorite charismatic characters, right? So you enjoy watching them a lot. And something that I thought was super impressive was um, all the transitions. Like, those transitions... Oh my goodness, the, that made my little editor heart just so happy <laughs> because they some of them were just perfectly seamless. But it's like, oh wait, I'm in another country now. Like, how did that? You know, your brain's kind of catching up, and it's it's incredible. Um, shots were 
fabulous. Like it is, it's just very, very well done. So like, yeah. I mean, I, even I think those things would be concerns in other shows, but I think you know, and yes, having an extra long runtime helps. But I, I think they were very smart in how they crafted it. So um, I, you know, if I'm someone who's on the fence of like, should I? Should I, you know, commit the time to it? I think it's worth the time. It's kind of like a Brandon Sanderson novel where it's like they're throwing out all these little hints, but at the very end there are these big twists that, like, totally make sense. And it's just, it's so well-crafted. So I enjoyed it a mm. lot. Max especially, though. So, yeah, I'm circling back right, to that. Right, um, and, and maybe it's just because of where I, I am myself right now in life, but just... You feel um, like an angsty 15-year-old teenager? Always, <laughs> always. I'm just like, you know... <laughs> Storming through the halls, glaring at everybody um, at, at school. But um, no, I, I think it's just something that was very interesting in this story was kind of the themes of like everyone's inner demons kind of and how we kind of keep things hidden from others, even though, you know, talking to others and opening up is what's best. Um, mm-hmm. and, and it goes through kind of a roundabout way of saying that, but um, it is just a great message, and and Max, that's kind of her struggle because from last season, um, her brother Billy was killed in front of her, and so she's just trying to cope with that, and um, you know, it ends up going kind of crazy. But um, uh, something that's been really interesting, seeing popping up online, and and Mark, I think you pointed this out earlier, was just uh, the song that Max listens to. Yeah, yeah. I there there was like a whole article about. Um... Uh, Kate Bush is now experiencing a, a big surge in popularity thanks to this, thanks to Stranger Things. Yeah, I wouldn't doubt it. So it's, yeah. Yeah, it's a 1985 song, so it's appropriate. It came out like a year before, or less than a year before probably this, uh, you know, season four is taking place. It's called yeah. Running Up That Hill, A Deal With God, in, in parentheses. And it's like going right back up the charts because of Stranger Things. Yeah. yeah. Um, no, it's a great song, and um, I... I knew that song before it got popular with this season because um, <laughs> oh. the cover was done by Placebo, and I just, I really, really love um, that song. So when I heard it pop up, I was just like, oh, man, I love this song, and I didn't know it was a song from the 80s originally, And um, but it was uh, that song, and, um, you know, we, we talked about, like, Elle's song, and, like, oh, my goodness, the whole, like, 80s California surfer bro aesthetic was amazing for me, <laughs> I think, it just because, like, my dad grew up as... A California surfer bro in the 80s so like there's so many like pictures family home videos you have and so like that was really fun but like with the music especially and and this is going to be something that plays into the plot but I'm not going to say specific I was, was going to say like even even like Mark because you you noticed the song from the first episode yeah it gets even bigger it like, gets the, the role yeah. that it plays in this series is is oh, okay. awesome okay. and yeah. it comes back around okay pretty cool. pretty soon yeah pretty soon. And, and, okay. and it was such a it was such a great song choice and um you know it you know just from lyrics the 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 tone the the feel like oh my goodness it was it was just such a great choice and that was a satisfying thing seeing built up as well so i mean it you know it's it's that typical stranger things stuff like you know they're it's very smart very well crafted but especially that song i think was a strong point that's what stranger things does right i mean the, it's it's exactly. a series that's built on well, not just built on nostalgia. I mean, luckily, it's like, as you've pointed out, it's a very well-crafted and well-executed series. Mm-hmm. Um, but its use of 1980s nostalgia, mm-hmm. 
pop culture references and specifically music is one of the big things, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I think it appeal appeals to Generation Xers and Millennials who grew up in that time period where, like, yeah, like me and Josh everything was awesome. probably remember the eighties, <laughs> and you know, and and uh, and it also to me it really evokes Spielberg and. Uh, those oh, movies yeah. like E.T. and even other non-Spielberg movies like Explorers and The Goonies, which I think he produced. I mean, it's kids kids dealing with supernatural stuff, solving problems, and, and it's from the kids' point of view for the most part. But we're here to talk about the music, right? Because, right. because the Stranger Things soundtrack is just a perfect example of, you know, just a great use of music to underscore character, to tell story, to create and provide great moments. And so we finally have, like, we, we have an undeniable excuse to finally deliver our soundtrack-themed episode. I don't think we can put it off any longer after this. Uh, so thanks to Kate Bush. Thanks to Stranger Things. How about we How about we talk about some soundtracks, guys? Let's do it. All right. So, so now, I, in, in, our, in our previous discussions in trying to figure out how to do this, I think that what we decided was that we wanted to break this up a little bit because you have something of long, like the Stranger Things kind of line, which is that the soundtrack is a collection of previously released, you know, pop music or, or you know, something like that versus your John Williams scores, you know, and Danny Elfman where it's, you know, or, or gladiator or whatever. And so, so we're going to talk about for this episode, we're going to zero in on the uh, various artists compilation soundtracks. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, and I, I think that uh, we already kind of knew this, but just to kind of clarify also, we're not talking about musicals. So, so it's not, you know, we, we will, we won't be discussing, like our favorite musical soundtracks in this episode either. Right. Yeah. So, so it's not like Phantom of the Opera or, you know, because otherwise I'd just talk about cats the whole time. Right. (laughs) (laughs) But, uh, but yeah, no. And so, so we, we've kind of picked out some favorites, which I think we'll get to in a moment, but, but maybe we can just kind of talk about some general observations and like what, maybe what we think about as like good rules or good ideas for what makes for a, you know, I mean, what what makes before you guys reveal what your favorite soundtracks are, what would you say makes for a good movie soundtrack in the parameters we've discussed? For for me, one of the things is I like to be introduced to new songs. I mean, this is maybe just a, a very subjective uh, rule, but for me, I, when you're introduced to new songs or new artists that you've maybe never heard before or maybe never you hear maybe a cover of something that you've never heard before. Um, I love that. I just, I love it when it's like, and it's a good song, obviously. Like, I mean, you want to hear good music and that can help make a, it can help elevate a movie in my mind. So that's, that's part of it. Um, And also like if it fits into the story, sometimes a song is chosen that fits perfectly into a certain plot point or matches a character Um, and, and it just, again, it can, it can enhance the experience. It can elevate the movie. Um, it can even, you know, it can make a, maybe even a mediocre movie just that much better by a really just killer soundtrack. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. Danny, how about you? I loved those points because, um, 
And, and this is kind of a great roundabout way to <laughs> do maybe a few shout-outs that didn't make the list, but um, so you said being introduced to new music, like, um, that's how I got into, like, Regina Spector and Lana Del Rey, like, because they were featured during, like, um, the credits in a movie, uh, mm. some of their songs, and just beautiful voices. And, and Celine um, Dion, too, right? And Celine Dion, oh, <laughs> of course. Sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> <Are you thinking laughs> My heart of... will always go on. Are you thinking uh, of 500 Days of Summer? I... Maybe. <laughs> Sorry, I hope I didn't spoil yours, because there's a great... Yeah, I, I yeah, agree with no, you on Regina when we, Spectre. When we were talking about maybe having this as a top five, it made my top five, but it did not make my top three. So. Okay. Yeah. But, like, it. yeah, but there are a lot of um, just artists like that. Um, Young and Beautiful from um, uh, The Great Gatsby is probably my all-time favorite song. I, you mm. know, just stuff like that where... Um, you know, I, I, I've really enjoyed being able to be introduced to artists like that. So thank you for making that point. So um, I don't feel bad about not having them on my list. Name drop away. Like, <laughs> I, had, I had a hard, I almost, in some ways, I almost feel like it was harder to come up with these three than my three movies. And mm-hmm. so yeah. we can, you know, may, maybe we like focus on three so that we, you know, so the Maybe podcast kind of. comes in under five hours, but, <laughs> <laughs> but absolutely. I mean, I, you know, reference because and, and you know partially because of what mark said like i love that i have i have been introduced to so many favorite songs through soundtracks that that's that's one of the biggest values i see from the whole the whole exercise mm-hmm. yeah no but, ab- absolutely um yeah so and and i would just add from there um that a lot of it is just so nostalgic for me i think you know music's one of those things that are just really tied to memory i know there have been a lot mm-hmm. of like really cool studies um primarily i've seen this in conjunction with coco when that was released how music like helps people who um have um who are starting to like forget things or whatever you yeah, play oh, a song absolutely. for them and it triggers things in them yes. and it's yes. it's quite incredible but like all my stuff i'm just like oh you guys are gonna laugh at my taste in music um, but it's, it's, they're very, like, it's, it's me. These are things that I love, right? Um, because they, I have such strong memories tied to these songs, to the soundtracks. Like, I have experiences listening to the soundtrack outside of watching the movie. Yeah. And, or, while watching the movie and hearing those songs, right? So there's a lot of memories tied to it, right? So I'm gonna, I'm gonna jump off that point and expand it just a little bit. because. Do it. I also love the idea that, you know, movie moments are, are tied into very specific memories and, and that kind of thing. Yeah. What I've loved even more on very rare occasions are when a particular song is used in a movie that I had an association with elsewhere mm. that is improved or changed because of its use in the movie. Yeah. So it's almost kind of like it can build... Oh, that just reminds me of memories. another song. How More dare deep you in, do this? You know. <laughs> oh dang. No, because the list keeps growing for me. You know, whether whether it's introducing new music, whether it's using your favorite music, whether it is creating a moment, you know, because there there are I mean, there are favorite songs that were in soundtracks. So, so think of the difference between like, cause you, you describe how sometimes the songs are used over the credits. Well, you're not, you're not going to yeah. remember the closing credits. That's just a favorite song that happened to be introduced there. Right. Mm-hmm. As opposed to songs that were used at a particular moment in a movie that was just perfect and that brought everything together and just put it over the top, you know, and I just, I, I love all of it. I, I love 
you know, there there are so many movies that that I adore so many more times over because of their soundtracks. Yeah. yeah. That yeah. I think you know it's funny because I I'm one of those people that I listen to music just over and over and over. Like I know some people don't do that, and there's and for me there's just something in my brain that loves listening to the same album over and over and over, and it's the same, same way with soundtracks. And when you and one of the reasons some of my favorite movies are my favorite movies is because of the soundtrack, because not only do you get to enjoy the visual over and over, but you could just have it on without even watching the screen if it's that yeah. good of a soundtrack, you know? Yeah. And so, but yeah, that association is interesting. You know, I think of like scenes um, like um, in, in Happy Feet, for example, I mean, this isn't one on my list, but I was thinking, I, it was, no? I was thinking of I Wish, you know, that song by I Stevie would have assumed Wonder. it would have been the first, number one on your list would be well, Happy Feet. The, it's, this is kind of weird, but the very first time I heard that song was on Stevie Wonder Night on American Idol. And I remember just loving it so much. And I was like, I, I even turned to Holly and like, this is, this is like one of the best songs. And we ended up getting the Stevie Wonder anthology and it was on there, luckily. And then they played it on Happy Feet. And it's the scene where he's, do you, I mean, you remember the plot of Happy Feet? Like, he can't sing. He has no voice. Have you seen Happy Feet? No. I've oh. seen it. I have no, no memory. Okay, well, really Mark, quick. Why would, Mark, why would I have watched Happy Feet? <laughs> well, I mean, it was a great movie, and it was the Oscar winner for uh, Best Animated Feature for that year. Was it I, really? I think it was 2006 or so. Oh, but anyway, my word. Wow. Like, all the penguins, the way that they attract their mates and the way that they kind of mature is they sing. Like, they sing a song, and they, they, they develop these beautiful voices, and, and it's just what every penguin does. It's just part of them. It's part of the natural order of things. But the main, the main character in Happy Feet cannot sing. He just sort of squawks in this sort of ungodly screeching sound. But then he discovers dance. He discovers the joy of dance. And the scene where he's just dancing up a storm, the camera swirls around him, and it plays Stevie Wonder's, Stevie Wonder's I Wish. And it's gotcha. a really nice moment. It's a great moment. And you can oh, probably sure, find I'm it sure. on YouTube. Um, but, like, <laughs> that's an example of where it elevates both the movie and, I think, the song for me, which already is a great song. Um, but, mm -hmm. yeah. I, no, you, you, you can't go wrong with Stevie Wonder. Yeah. I, I will <laughs> argue that all day long, for sure. <laughs> Um, nice, and I nice. think you mentioned, uh, and just Regina Spector's, uh, you know, the opening scene of 500 Days of Summer oh, when Us, goodness, Us yeah. is playing, and it has the split screen with both of their childhoods, uh, you know, uh, jo Joseph Gordon-Levitt and Zoe Deschanel, and different scenes from their childhood, and it's playing that song, They Made a yeah. Statue of Us, it's great. Oh, I love her stuff. That's probably my top played Pandora radio station is Regina Spector. She's nice. great. I've seen her a couple of times in concert, and it's She's awesome. I know, I'm so jealous. I'd love to. Love to. <laughs> well, okay, so I'm I'm going to push things ahead here because Go ahead. as we're having this discussion, more soundtracks are springing to mind. Right. And if <laughs> we don't if we don't start going through our lists, I'm going to have to be making changes and it's going to drive me crazy. So maybe <sighs> we ought to just jump in head first and Yeah. <laughs> but uh, I don't know who who wants to who wants to kick it off this time. Any, anybody want to I think, uh, my, I think my soundtracks are going to be the least impressive if we wanted to get my own. Because here's the thing. I'm not much Don't of a music. That. I'm Did not you much choose Happy Feet? No. <laughs> no. Um. Did you choose any animated film soundtracks? I did not. Aren't we proud oh. of me? What? I'm growing up. The evolution no. of the Utah <laughs> Film Pod. Well, it's, it's funny because 
there's there's a very similar thread with every single one of these um, songs that I pick. So there's definitely something I'm really looking for when it comes to a really good soundtrack, I think, just with what sticks with me. Because, okay. I mean, I could listen to anything. I don't mind, but it's like I don't have strong opinions when it comes to music. I kind of prefer a lot of, like, instrumental stuff, typically. That might be the film score, you know, side of things. Yeah. Um, I really like um, diegetic music, you know, music that is used within the story, like a character is performing or something like that. These aren't musicals, though, except for right. maybe one of them, so I kind of cheated a little bit. It's okay. So I have to give an honorable mention to August Rush, which is mostly okay. instrumental for the soundtrack, but I just... I grew up listening to that soundtrack so much. I used it for, like, my alarm <laughs> to wake up in the morning just because, like, it was just very soothing. It was very fun, and, and, I, and I really loved um, those songs. But my number three pick for my soundtrack playlist is the Lizzie McGuire movie soundtrack. Um, and this is kind of also just to give a little nod to all the um, <laughs> blonde female flicks of that era. Primarily that were starring Hilary Duff. Okay, um, okay. So I, I'd say like, you know, a Cinderella story is kind of in the same vein or Legally Blonde. Um, so so these kind of, you know, yeah. films, right? Um, that I grew up with as a preteen. But the Lizzie McGuire movie especially just has all these iconic songs where if I started saying, if I went like, hey now, to like just a crowd of girls between the age of like 20 to 40 they would all give me a hey now back. And then we would sing together, this is what dreams are made of. Like, this was a defining soundtrack, and so I just, I, I think it's so iconic, and I absolutely love it. Um, my second pick would be a musical pick, technically. I love the Tick, Tick, Boom soundtrack so much from um, the 2021 uh, release of that movie. Um... I just, I mean, part of it, you know, I gotta love Andrew Garfield's voice. It's amazing. It's perfect. Um, but also, these songs are just on my mind all the time. I was actually kind of a little disturbed when I first watched this movie. I didn't know how to feel about it. Because, I mean, the whole movie is about being a creative 20-something, approaching your 30s, and not knowing how you're supposed to pursue these ambitions you have. Um... And it's just, you know, that's honestly kind of what I ask myself every day as I'm driving to school. Um, um, the, the song Johnny Can't Decide especially just hits this where it's can't like, decide. do I want to be like Susan, who is kind of giving up on her art altogether, really? She's just settling. She wants to have a nice, quiet life. Um, do I redirect my dream like Michael, where he's still creative, but it's in the business world, so he's like really successful in making money, but you know, he doesn't have complete creative freedom, or do I just stubbornly hold on to my dream where I am just going to keep living in this crappy apartment and, you know, not having enough time? I honestly do think this movie kind of shows why Jonathan Larson died so young. I mean, like, I don't know how this guy didn't die of a heart attack earlier on, you know, like, I think it was a brain aneurysm that killed him, so it's just like, you know, it's just absolute chaos the way he lived, but he was just so brilliant and these songs show it so it's it's kind of meta where it's like these brilliant songs that are brilliantly made talking about how you want to dedicate to this life of writing such amazing music like i i don't know how to describe that perfectly but 
I just oh it's, my goodness, it's I music love about making music. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. yeah, yeah, music about yeah. making a musical, and I guess more specifically, <laughs> music about the struggle and the suffering <sighs> that goes into making a musical that may never be shown. Yeah. Um, and I didn't know when I saw the movie, I didn't know that. I thought this was something like Lin Manuel Miranda just made up, yeah. and like yeah. I didn't realize that Jonathan Larson did make that musical about the making that musical. The the yeah. the suburbia the I can't remember what the first one was called, but yeah, I I thought it was brilliant too. I loved it, and that song "Therapy," I, <laughs> I listened to that like a hundred times. I'd always watch oh, that so clip perfect. on yeah. YouTube with with yeah, the little no. duet. <laughs> no, it's it, it's so good, and like I mean, they're they're just very fun, but also just really reflective. Um, I think one like you know you have your thirty ninety, your therapy, and your senses, like you know the big kind of numbers mm-hmm. that are just like really incredible. Uh, one that I think is kind of underappreciated is um, Sunday, like the one where they're like having brunch and he's, you know, mocking all of these people. But it's it comes at an interesting point and, and I think it shows how narratively this movie is so incredible because um, what's happening in the real world is he's about to have a panic attack because he's like, I need to be in a hundred different places, but I'm stuck here serving these whiny customers why are they here when i need to be focusing on all these other things and in his music mind he escapes and it's this you know heavenly choir singing about toast and orange juice and coffee and it's you know it's this beautiful over traumatic moment but it really you get this really amazing inside look into his mind where it's like this is his coping mechanism and um, I don't know, just stuff like that where it's it's so good. I have a hard time watching the movie because it does stress me out where I'm like, I'm, I'm not close to my 30s. I know that. But like in my head, I am. And I'm just like, it's OK, Danny. I'm not close to my 30s either. <laughs> yeah, <me neither. laughs> oh, my gosh. But I am. But I am fascinated. I am fascinated to know as much as you love this movie soundtrack, what could possibly have beat it out? <laughs> as I'm listening to you, I'm thinking. How is this not number one? Like, yeah, no, and, and, and I'm also just, thinking that you broke the rules, but I'm totally okay with it. Yeah, I don't no, love I, the music from it, well, but it's a musical. Here's the thing. I, I feel like it's <laughs> That not... is totally a musical. <laughs> so I, okay, listen, 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 listen. I think it's not quite a musical because what happens is you are seeing his life in a narrative cinematic way, but there's also this side plot where they're kind of recording um, in this off-Broadway theater, his mm-hmm. his musical. So you are seeing, because it, it's not necessarily like he's always breaking out into song in the real world. There's kind of this divide. So like yeah. I I felt like I could get away with it, but you know it's fine. That's okay. <laughs> one of, if it helps, one of my choices is going to bend the rules slightly as well. Okay, fair, fair enough. Yeah, not not as dramatically as you've bent the rules, <laughs> but it's still. Oh, bends the rules. okay. So. <laughs> Whatever. See, this is why I wanted to go first and get this out of the way. But um, <laughs> no, and it's funny you say that because, like, I think Tick Tick Boom is going to be in my top three movies. It might end up being my number one favorite soundtrack eventually. It's just, like I said, with the nostalgia, so important. Um, yeah. Where this is a very recent movie, so I don't know if I'm like just going through a phase and I need to listen to this album on repeat until I graduate just to stay sane, um, or if this is something where it's like, no, this this was. Um, you know, an amazing part of my life that I really want to hold on to. So well, it's to be determined. My number one pick, I, I've been listening to this one on repeat for years since it was introduced to me by our good friend, Travis Poppleton. 
And it is the soundtrack of Inside Lou and Davis. And uh, this one really encapsulates a lot of my music taste, I think. I really like the folk kind of sound. Um, I mean, that's another thing I love about Tick, Tick, Boom is it's very 90s, right? And I, and I like 90s music. It's a lot more chill, you know, a lot of instrumental stuff like acoustic. And Inside Lone Davis, I think, is beautiful. Again, I just, I love it when the main character is performing, right? And um, uh, my main theme that I notice with all my choices, the thing that's probably most important to me when it comes to the soundtrack is this underdog artist storyline where it's like and i think why it's so important to have a good soundtrack for those kind of stories is that you know the the creators of the film know that they have to have a protagonist that's very talented um but also kind of like down on their luck so like you know we as an audience we're we're really rooting for them our hearts go out to them right because we just want to be telling the world like why aren't they you know the next pop star you know they're so good um, you know, uh, so, so the music has to be absolutely fantastic. And I think it really is an Inside Lewin Davis. Um, I love all the songs. And then the memory that I really have tied to these songs is that, um, my freshman year of college, I was going to BYU, Ryan was going to Weber, and every weekend I would ride the train two hours north to spend the weekend with him. And then come Monday morning, I'd take the two-hour train ride back. And I just listened to um, the Inside Lone Davis soundtrack mm. on repeat. And it's just amazing travel music. Because, I mean, a lot of it is kind of like them traveling in a car um, and, and trying to get things on the move. And I just, I don't know, looking over, you know, during that ride, you, you're, you're watching so much of Utah pass by, just a lot of kind of nothing with hills and um, old train tracks that have been abandoned and I just I think it's such a beautiful trip and so I just always kind of I don't know have that and the soundtrack tied together and it's just it's kind of this beautiful memory in my mind so that's why yeah. it's my number one were, were you great. traveling with a cat on the train I, like <laughs> <laughs> I wish nice. oh gosh very good very good yeah okay so now yeah this is Part of this is my nagging English professor side coming out. Oh, goodness. But I don't know. Did you mention, because because I have a kind of a similar conversation. When, when I first opened my English classes, we have a like a class discussion about that includes like naming some of your favorite music. Uh-huh. So you named, you named the Lizzie McGuire movie. Did you mention any of the artists who play on that soundtrack? Because um, I think you referenced of- one of the songs, but... Yeah, you know, like two of them are performed by Hilary Duff. Okay. Um, I cannot remember. Yeah, yeah. No, but that's the thing. I'm not much of a music person, and that's why I felt intimidated about this episode because it's like I don't follow people. I'm not like a big music fan. Gotcha. Gotcha. I follow directors yeah. in the same way people follow Taylor Swift. So you know. <laughs> I like it. I like it. <laughs> no, because I th- I thought that you know just in the spirit of like. Anybody listening who wants to check it out, this is uh, kind of, you know, maybe go listen to this person or this well, person. So I, I'm someone who believes in when you're listening to a soundtrack, you should be listening to them in the order that it's played out. It's kind of like that mixtape idea where it's mm. like there's kind of a narrative with those songs. And, like, I remember for the Liz McGuire movie soundtrack, like, which song follows which because, like, you know, there's there's a narrative there. And same with Inside Lou and Davis, Tick, Tick, Boom. Like, 
I, I don't yeah. know. It's so it's not ma- much of a like these certain songs, but it's like you know that relationship I have with this sound that the the songs that are featured in that movie in that order right, for right. that reason. So, yeah. Excellent. Okay, Mark, do you want to go next, or do you want me to go? Um, <clears throat> your choice. I'll, your call. I'll, I'll go ahead. Okay. Okay. So. We'll, we'll just we'll see who's stepping on whose toes. I don't know. <laughs> I, I don't know. This one might be. I'd be really surprised if you chose a couple of mine, but there are. We'll find out. Okay. You go ahead. <laughs> All right. So I have a. I just thought of something. This is so weird. I don't even know if I should include this movie because I haven't seen the movie. I mean, isn't that crazy? I have a soundtrack that I love so much that I've heard a lot, that you, and I realize I've the never movie. seen the movie. So I don't know. I'll, I'll throw it out there, but I, I mean, sure. I have three others. But it's it's um because I was thinking when you said uh, Danny, when you said like, oh, '90s music is a lot more chill, a lot more acoustic, and I, yeah. I'm thinking, well, I have I have a counterexample. I, I oh, beg fair. to differ. Go ahead. Do this it. is a grunge soundtrack that kind of introduced me. I I was already starting to like alternative music in the early '90s. Yeah. Yeah, and this just is such a great kind of group collection of songs that are Pearl Jam, Allison Chains. Oh, I um, think I know it. I think I know it. Smashing Pumpkins, Paul Westman. Do you know it? Soundgarden. I think so. Chris Cornell. Um, yeah. What, what, it's what gotta it? be. It's gotta be. No, you say it. Single. Yes. Yeah. So yes. you've seen the movie. Yeah, I should probably let you take this one then, because I'm sure you've well, seen the movie. No, I because I think I've only seen pieces of the movie. Okay. Interesting. I know I've seen specific scenes. I don't mm-hmm. ever remember sitting down and watching the entire movie, but I completely understand what you're saying because yeah. there are there are movies that like you almost become more familiar with the soundtrack before you actually even see the movie if you see the movie at all. So mm-hmm. I am with you 100%. Yeah, I, I plan to see it. I should see it. I mean, it's got a cover of a Led Zeppelin song, uh, Battle of Evermore. It has two Pearl Jam songs, I've, and I love Pearl Jam, but I've never heard it anywhere else. Uh, uh, state of Breath and State of Love and Trust. I haven't heard those songs anywhere else, um, just on the soundtrack. And this is like when they were starting too. This is like '93-ish. Uh, I, I don't remember that. Or maybe '92. Um, it, it came out after Ten, but probably not too too long after Ten, which was yeah. their first album. And then um, Mud Honey. I, I don't know anything about Mud Honey. I just know their one song on the soundtrack, and it's awesome. You know. Um, Anyway. So was that was Mud Honey? So here's here we go on our tangents, right? Yeah. <laughs> was was Mud Honey the name of the band that became Pearl Jam? Mm, I don't. Or was think it one of those so. some members of Pearl Jam and some members of Soundgarden get together? Because oh, I know like, you're thinking of Mother Love Bone. I think maybe Mother that's Love what I was thinking of. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and they have a song on here. Um, it's it's Chloe Dancer, Crown of Thorns. Um, that's, that's kind of their main song. And I used to have, I mean, I was, when I got into grunge in the early 90s, I got all of it. I mean, I got the Mother Love Bone album that had that, and This Is Jangri Um, you know, early Pearl Jam stuff, and Stone Temple Pilots, which isn't on the single soundtrack. But it's just really cool music that kind of, I think it kind of introduced the world to like the Seattle scene. It, yeah. you know, it, it, so now so. I have to. I have to ask. So since you got into the single soundtrack, at the same period, did you ever find yourself getting into the Crow soundtrack? Um, I am not sure. If you name some songs, I may know them, but I don't. I don't remember. Okay. No, yeah. just. I mean, that was half oh, of a, wait joke, a minute. Just no, I do remember because it had. You remember a the big, Crow soundtrack? Yeah, it had the Stone Temple Pilots song on it. 
Yeah, um, I mean, it, I, I would, do remember I wouldn't that. go as far as calling it a grunge soundtrack, but right. it really was like this moody goth, you know, yeah. industrial. Like, I think there might have been some Nine Inch Nails or some Trent Reznor on yeah. there, you know. And it would have been but, around the same time, probably yeah, within right, that right. two or three year period. And I, th- I figured it was a safe bet for something you wouldn't have chosen. Yeah. <laughs> Can I just say, I'm still waiting to hear the name of a band that I know. Oh, wow. Pearl Jam? You haven't heard of Pearl Jam, huh? No, I'm telling you, I am so out of my element here. Oh, my gosh. Um, Just start start taking notes, Danny. Start taking notes. (laughs) Today is the first day of the rest of your life. May may this be love. I mean, it's not even one of his well-known songs, but it's a great Jimi Hendrix song on that single soundtrack. Yeah. yeah. Um, Okay. It's always (laughs) nice to introduce people to, like, new music, because, like, I, you know, Pearl Jam... And just being a kid that grew up in the 80s and 90s, that was, you know, I feel like everybody yeah. had heard of them then, but, you know, they were never exactly I probably mainstream. made my parents just, like, facepalm. They're like, what, where did we go wrong? <laughs> um, okay. So, I, I don't know. I don't know. I, that may be a weird pick since I haven't seen the movie, but the other movies I promise I've seen. Okay. Um, I think that's totally fair. Okay, so another one is Forrest Gump. Ooh, okay. Great soundtrack. I remember we had the two disc set that I think was a. I can't remember if I owned it or if it was like I gave it to my sister, but I listened to it a lot. And yeah. it, it was just. It is an anthology of American folk and rock music, really, from all the way from the 50s to the 80s. I mean, it's almost mm-hmm. like a best of, uh, you, you know, list from, from those time periods, from like mid 50s to. Mm-hmm probably mid-80s, and I mean, anybody you can name, I'm Elvis Presley, right, Danny, you've heard of Elvis, I mean, The Doors, uh, (laughs) you know, there's Joan Baez, Creed's Clearwater Revival, Dylan, Beach Boys, The Supremes, I mean, it's classic, yeah, and I remember sitting in the theater, too, and this was a great experience, too, because I saw this movie when it came out in 1994, and it was around the same time that I was a little bit after I had started listening to The Doors, and, you know, I I didn't discover them. Of course, millions and millions of people had heard them, but I remember the first time I heard them was at work, where I, I worked as a, at a, a paint, as a painter at a property management company, and everybody, all the guys would bring their CDs, and we'd put them in the CD player, and we'd just play music all day while we were, like, working and painting. And somebody brought The Best of The Doors, which is a two-disc set, and I hadn't heard of them. But I started hearing the music and listening to Light My Fire and... Hello, I love you, and break on through. I'm like, this is a really cool song. What is this? You know, somebody said the doors, and I just instantly loved all the songs. And then I'm sitting in the theater watching Forrest Gump, and one thing they don't have on the soundtrack is in the movie itself, they play like five door songs. Right. Like right. if you watch the Vietnam scenes, they're playing, and then and then a part of the scene when she when Jenny is having her struggles and being on drugs in Las Vegas, and she looks like she's about to commit suicide. They're playing that Lover, Lover Madly. Madly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You remember that. Yeah, you just never forget some of these scenes. And yeah. they're playing Lover Madly and Soul Kitchen, which is not a well-known door song. Not a, right, right. Um, uh, Break On Through, which is the one that's on the soundtrack. And I, I remember sitting next to, I think I was sitting next to my cousin. I'm like, this is the doors again this is the doors you know like telling him <laughs> letting him know that i know these songs and uh but it's just an awesome soundtrack so many yeah. good songs and sweet home alabama's on there yeah yeah let me let me echo on this one um because uh i will always associate this soundtrack 
with the the year well the nine months that i spent working at a a a movie slash music store called the warehouse Mm. and during the window when i worked at that place when i was kind of in my late teens uh i will every every major album that we would play on like the store pa always instantly takes me back to like that period of my life right Mm. and and the forrest gump soundtrack was one that we just played over and over and over and over again I I think that regardless of whether it is a favorite, the Forrest Gump soundtrack is one of the most celebrated soundtracks. Mm. You know, just just because, you know, when you think about the all-time, you know, certainly most prolific ones because like you said, I mean it covers decades upon decades and it's this, you know, sprawling two CD set that doesn't even cover everything that was in the movie. Um that that that's one of the ones I think is is that most people kind of think of as oh yeah that's like one of the all-time great yeah you know and and i hadn't even really thought about it in this way until you brought it up but where so many period movies focus on music from a specific window mm-hmm. forrest gump i mean it's covering like 30 plus years yeah. worth of pop music yep and it, and it makes sense for the movie since that's what it you know that's the life of forrest exactly gump. yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, it, it's good because and it, it helps orient you to time and place when you're no or even even just kind of somewhat familiar with music from certain time periods like that that they're showing you as it's going along through the decades that oh running on empty now we're in the 80s you know like it, yeah. it just does that in the movie um mm-hmm. really well so love yeah, it great choice great choice okay um, next choice is a. I'm going to go a little bit more. Well, it's a more of a modern movie, but it's similar music, and it's Guardians of the Galaxy. Uh, um, ho- hopefully, I'm not stealing any of yours, but um, that is awesome. I mean, from yeah, the very oh, opening yeah. scene. Uh, well, I guess not the very opening scene, but you know, he's he's on that like alien planet, kicking those yeah. weird lizard things, and he's listening to the Walkman, listening to yeah. uh, Hooked on a Feeling. Nope. I believe. Come and get your love. Oh, by come Red and Bone. get your love. You're right. You're right. Yep. Um, I on a feeling that was the uh, trailer. That was the prison it? scene. Well, oh, they yeah. used yeah they used it in the trailer, but then it was the, used in the prison scene. That's when they're they're all because that's that's one the one where where Quill gets mad and he's like, that's that's hooked on a feeling by Blue Suede. That's my. That's my my song because the guy like had confiscated it and he's like the aliens listening to his Walkman. Yeah, trust me. There's a specific reason I remember this. And I'm going to get to it in a minute. <laughs> oh, okay, okay. So, but the cool thing, another thing I like about the soundtrack is because I, uh, you know, and Danny talked a little bit about diegetic and non-diegetic sound. In, in this movie, there's both, right? Um, and because there's diegetic is when the characters on the screen hear the music that we're hearing. And sometimes they're singing along or whatever. But um, thank you for clarifying that term that I knew totally what you were talking about. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. And so, um, and it's a special set of songs because this is the awesome mix, right? This is the tape yeah, that his yeah. his mom had made, and then it was sort of his meaningful, almost only connection to his his life on Earth. You know, his yeah. pre-galactic life when he was an Earthling, and um, and he you know he has this this Walkman with this awesome mix and there's an awesome mix volume two and you can listen to both of them on YouTube and I, they're just full of, and it's kind of like what I was saying at the beginning of our, our discussion on this. It introduced me to a lot of songs I hadn't heard before and a lot of artists I hadn't heard before. Like I didn't know hooked on a feeling. Maybe I'm the only one, 
you know, come and get your love. Um, I knew some David Bowie, but I didn't know Moon Age Daydream. Um, and uh, he, anyway, yeah, there's there's some great, just great classics here of that sort of late 70s, early 80s time period. Well, um, and I, I love, and this, I guess this is what you're kind of already pointing out, but I love how not only are these classics of a period, but they specifically are targeting songs that have such a fun, kind of innocent, upbeat vibe. You know, it, it, kind of like you say, it's it's the awesome mix, right? There's these aren't just random songs that happen to come out that happen to be popular over like ten, fifteen years. Like this is a this is a soundtrack to cheer you up. Yeah. This this is a soundtrack to make you feel happy. Right. And right. And I adore that it's about great. this soundtrack. Yeah. yeah. And and like I said, the characters. I mean, especially the, the Star Lord, you know, Peter Quill. He knows these songs. He's like, he's probably memorized the words to all of them. Well, he's, well, he's been listening to, to the same cassette tape for thirty years. Yeah, right. So. Yeah, right. It's kind of which is kind of funny if you think about it. And his knowledge of <laughs> the, the song, how that and, thing survived, right? And it kind of helps at the end of the movie. It helps them escape a, a certain, you know, uh, fate that may be coming to them. And he's he's singing and dancing to one of those songs, you know, that no one else knows what's going on. And, um, so it's 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 important. It's more than just like background music. It's it's a part of the yeah. movie. Oh yeah, absolutely, uh, absolutely. All right. So that's so that's number one. Or did you? Or were yours like three in no particular order? Oh, or was two. that I forgot. I had another one, but I because I had singles one. I feel like was a weird one. But I'll just quickly mention Magnolia. I love that soundtrack. Um, okay. That one is Amy Mann, and it's she does almost all the songs. There's a little bit of Super Tramp on there, and a couple other. Songs, but almost all of them are done by Amy Mann. And, and just two quick things. One thing I like about that is that Paul Thomas Anderson said that it was Amy Mann's lyrics. Like it was those songs that inspired some of the scenes and some things that are in the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, so, for example, in the movie, there's a character that meets another character um, that, like, this guy kind of instantly falls in love with this girl that he really shouldn't be with for reasons that are very obvious in the movie. And she doesn't want to be with him either, but she doesn't know how to tell him. And she says, now that I've met you, would you object to never seeing each other again? Um, and that's an exact lyric from one of the songs in the movie, an Amy Mann song. And so they just, that's a line in the movie. And so that's really cool. It says, now that I've met you, would you object to never seeing each other again? I can't afford to climb aboard you. No one's got that much ego to spend. And it's, and it's a lyric in that song, that Amy Mann song. And then there's another scene, and this is a, an ensemble movie where there's a lot of different characters that are going through different things in their life, but there's, there's, there's similarities thematically, such as um, estrangement and things like that. And there's this kind of interesting scene in the middle of the movie where they all sing an Amy Mann song. Almost they do it like a music video where they're all singing a song called Wise Up by Amy Mann, where it's as, as if they're all kind of listening to the song, like maybe on their own radios, and it shows each character just kind of sadly singing verses of that song and it cuts to different, you know, to each of them doing it. And it, it seems a little out of place, but it makes sense within the context of the movie. There's, yeah. there's different ways that the, that their, their stories are drawn together, but then you see that they're all, they all need to rise up. You know, they kind of need to follow the, the advice in the song. Um, so that one I like, I've always loved that soundtrack. And the very opening song is one, a Harry Nelson song, the Amy Mann yeah. covers. And it's interesting because it's, you know, one is the loneliest number that you'll ever do. And then, and, and 
you know, there's a lot of loneliness in the movie itself. Uh, anyway, it's, that's another one that I it's like. Very and, tied together. Yeah, it ties it together. So, cool. yeah. Nice. Well, Mark, I am really glad that you chose Guardians of the Galaxy because I wasn't going to choose Guardians of the Galaxy, but I did want to shoehorn it in as an honorable mention. And and you've set that up perfectly, so mm. so I can Good. I can now kind of bandwagon <laughs> yours and not not have to feel like I'm uh, doing like I'm cheating. Um, but uh, aside from the stuff we've already talked about, um, Guardians of the Galaxy as a movie and you know as a soundtrack is going to always be uh, a very very fond uh, connection for me mm-hmm. because. Uh, it was the last movie that I saw with my dad before he passed away a few years ago. Uh, um, and then while my family was in the process of kind of putting everything together for the funeral and, and making all the arrangements, uh, we had to get away for just to kind of get a break. And we went and saw Guardians of the Galaxy, you know. And so so that movie is always going to be kind of connected to that. Um, but... In, in, uh, even on a more specific level, um, that opening scene where you know Peter Quill is on the on the on the the moon, the planet, or whatever, and he's and he's kicking the little you know alien rat things and singing in their mouths like their microphones. Um, the the reason I remember that song because it's the it's the Redbone song. Is because that is one of, and this is kind of what I was alluding to earlier in our discussion, where that is one of the only times I can ever remember a song that I disliked because of a negative association being turned into one of my all-time favorite songs because of a new association. Because, mm-hmm. and I'll 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 give the streamlined version of this so that uh, you know we don't a so we don't extend the podcast too long, and b so that I don't get sued by anybody who's involved in this story. Um, so I had always associated that song with a party that Mark, you might've actually been at that. I just hated uh, <laughs> there. It was, it was, it was about a girl. It was about a bunch of guys who showed up to the party with a girl. And that song was featured prominently in like one of the low points of the evening. And so I'd always associated <laughs> it with this, this horrible party. And then I see it in guardians of the galaxy in such a funny scene and then I have this attachment to my dad and it's just like, it was a complete 180 degree flip from, oh, that song to, oh man, this has just got such, you know, I love how I, it's like I rescued that song or like the movie rescued that song. Um, even to the point now, I've even got my, my Star-Lord with the Walkman Funko from that actual scene. <laughs> that uh is is one of the first ones i got for for now obvious reasons yeah. but uh yeah that's no so that's sweet though yeah I love that. so that was oh thank you no that 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 had to be that cuz that's the thing is like i don't know that i so it was really easy for me to choose two of the soundtracks on my list but narrowing down that third one was really really difficult right and yeah. and and guardians was a contender, but I kind of thought of my number three soundtrack in terms of a concept. And I don't think it would be the best example of that concept. And 
one of the things that I noticed as I thought about, you know, my favorite soundtracks and, and things was that there are directors who seem to have a very, very specific reputation for choosing very memorable, very, you know, well-executed soundtracks. And, you know, Quentin Tarantino is one of them. You know, if you've heard the Pulp Fiction soundtrack, it is absolutely iconic. Um, the way the way that they drop Jungle Bookie into that one at the beginning of the movie is incredible. And Mr. Lou, I think, is the opening Yeah, Mr. Lou with yeah. Dick, Dick Dale and the Deltones. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. No, that one. Um, another guy I was thinking, you know, the Coen brothers, their soundtracks are, I mean, we've already talked about Lou and Davis, right? Oh, so, yeah. So that, I'm, I'm glad you, I'm glad you brought, brought that yeah. one out. Yeah. Um, one of the other ones I was thinking about uh, was uh, Wes Anderson. I mean, all of his soundtracks, you know, from, from Rushmore just his use of Royal I, I, I adore the kinks and so yeah. the way that the kinks are used you know in not just Rushmore but he used he used a bunch of their songs in uh, uh, the Darjeeling Limited uh, a few years later it was fantastic you know you just said Royal Tenenbaums is incredible um, so yeah so Wes Anderson uh Oh my gosh! Now this I'm really just... feels like you're cheating by just naming every director. Oh <laughs> well, right, no, but this this was this is kind of what I'm sorting through because, uh, yeah, and no, then then you've got and then you've got um, oh, I I feel so terrible that I'm forgetting his name, uh, Shaun of the Dead, and Edgar Wright, Ed, Edgar, Wright. Edgar Wright, Edgar Wright, right? Um, and so because you know with Baby Driver, I was thinking that with Baby Driver these, as you started listening, yeah. yeah, yeah. But but the one that I want to choose. And will second guess myself for the rest, you know, is Cameron Crowe, who did singles, right? Mm -hmm. And and so, but the one that I wanted to choose from Cameron Crowe because he's he's done, you know, a number of really fantastic soundtracks. Um, My favorite his is Almost Famous, the the movie from about twenty years ago about the kid who writes for. It's it's basically kind of like a semi autobiographical story about uh, a teenage freelance writer who gets a job writing for Rolling Stone. He takes off on the road with this band over the course of, you know, a couple months. And, uh, you know, his eyes are open to the world of adulthood and the craziness of the rock and roll lifestyle. And this thing is just, you know, Cameron Crowe has a way of just packing in about three times as many songs into a soundtrack as, as you would normally encounter. And, and almost famous uh, has, you know, "Tiny Dancer." I think is probably the song that is the most memorable featured moment. Um, there's some great Cat Stevens on there. There is. There's a great uh, Rod Stewart track. There's a really kind of a lesser known Beach Boys song. Uh, speaking of the Beach Boys, it's really great. But it's also one of those ones that took a song that I knew and turned it into a favorite. Like I had listened to. Uh, America by Simon and Garfunkel for years and knew it yeah. and liked it yeah. but then after seeing it in the context of Almost Famous just elevated it that much more um, which was funny because that same scene if you know the movie was originally going to be the entirety of Led Zeppelin Stairway to Heaven like they were going to actually film an eight minute scene where the characters are sitting in the living room listening to Stairway to Heaven in its entirety um, 
but you know didn't do that. I, I think, so I, I've read that too, and there's a part where Cameron Crowe wants you to like. He says, "Hey, you should play this scene, like play the scene of the movie, but turn the sound down, but play Stairway to Heaven." Because he did, he really wanted that, and he couldn't get it, couldn't get the yeah. rights or something. Yeah. But I think America works better when you listen to the lyrics of America and what's no, going it's, to happen in that right. movie. I, I it's love more that. appropriate to what right. you know, because I mean, the context of the scene is that you know Zoe Deschanel is playing like the rebellious teenage daughter who wants to take off and be a stewardess, and this is her way of explaining to her mother why she needs to you know go off into the wild blue yonder, and so. She's you know, going to search her, for America. Yeah, Frances McDormand plays the mom, and she's she is amazing, and and she is like anti rock music, and oh, they're all on pot, and the, you know this is this is terrible, and and so you know, so her daughter's forcing her to listen to Simon and Garfunkel, and 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 all this, but uh, yeah, so so with all of those kind of similar choices, um, I mean, as much as I'd want to choose Rushmore, or as much as I'd want to choose Baby Driver, or Guardians of the Galaxy. But because the new, I mean, the Suicide Squad also had some great music. Um, but, uh, yeah, so I think that my, my choice is going to have to be, for number three, my number three spot's going to have to be Almost Famous. Um, nice. Number two is is one that I also chose for my three movies, uh, which is the soundtrack to the Blues Brothers. I knew, I knew. I was yeah, going to that for you. Gonna... Well, and see, but, but, but this, is, this is what's interesting about that one, is that... There is a soundtrack to the Blues Brothers that people are familiar with, and there is a soundtrack that, to me, was almost more important, that, that is much more under the radar, because the soundtrack to the movie, it's like the official soundtrack, is a really popular, you know, high sales over the years, and, and several of those songs are the, are the, the tracks by, you know, uh, Dan Aykroyd and John Belushi, which are good, but not really my favorite stuff, you know, and, and it also includes uh, the tracks that were recorded by Aretha Franklin and Ray Charles and Cap Calloway. And, and so the actual officially released CD is very good. It has a lot of good stuff. Um, and I, of course, I you know love and enjoy that. But the reason I picked this one is because the music that didn't make the soundtrack kind of pushed me into a new musical area that seemed almost more significant because the stuff that wasn't on the soundtrack was stuff like the the John Lee Hooker track from from Maxwell Street and them sitting in, and, and listening to Louis Jordan when uh, you know, they're, they're in the apartment next to the, the L train and he's playing with the good times roll and when they're about to start the chase that goes into the mall and they're listening to Sam and Dave play Soothe Me and Hold On, I'm Coming. And, and so, so as I started digging into the soundtrack, oh, who is that? Because that one's not on the CD, so who is this? I want to figure out who this is. That led me into this kind of this deep dive of uh, soul music and mm-hmm. blues music that just has kind of reverberated throughout my life in terms of just the music that I've loved and appreciated to the point where, you know, I will regularly, you know, whenever I go to take a trip to Chicago, I'm always going to, you know, one or two of these different blues clubs and, and listen to some of the same kind of stuff. And, and so, so it just kind of has this multi-level level thing. Um, and as I suspected, because as we started talking about doing the soundtrack episode, I realized that, yeah, the three movies that I chose also happen to have fantastic soundtracks. Now, I didn't choose 
the soundtracks for American Graffiti or for Walter Mitty for this list, but Blues Brothers had to be on there um, just to, kind of for the reasons I, I described. For sure. Um, but, and uh, so did that's, you say that was your number yeah, two? That's my number two. So not to that's throw my a two. question back at you. Right oh, here, you, you but, go uh, ahead and throw all the questions <laughs> you want. Go ahead. No, I am very surprised that that wouldn't be your number one then after mm-hmm. all that you said about it. So It's, it, it's because... My number one choice is so much more foundational mm-hmm. to my musical tastes and appreciation uh, to the point where there are probably, I would say, five or six songs on this soundtrack that I could argue are, if not my all-time favorite song, certainly contenders for the top 10 list mm-hmm. um whereas i can't as much as i love the blues brothers soundtrack i don't know there's really only one or two songs that i would say oh well, that that's like an all-time favorite song absolutely it's more that the music itself kind of led me down a path yeah whereas whereas the one you know that i'm that i'm building the tension and suspense for <laughs> there are like i said there are there are literally a half dozen songs that at any given point in time i could say yeah that's my favorite song of all time or that's yeah. like one of my top 10 favorite individual songs mm-hmm. um and that one, which unfortunately some people have kind of started to see as a cliche, is the the soundtrack to The Big Chill. Um, I don't know. This this one used to be more well known, but I get the sense that you know, with with passing generations, it's becoming less and less. Um, you know, just the the awareness is not there. Although even. Danny, I'm guessing that you probably would recognize at least half the songs on this soundtrack because they're so frequently used in in kind of uh, you know throwback classic rock you know uh, playlists and stuff. But oh, um, yeah. so what's what's funny about it though is that The Big Chill is this movie that I saw as a kid that is completely conceptually inappropriate for anybody <laughs> under the age of you know 25. <laughs> Because it's, I mean, the whole, the, the, the concept of the movie is that there's a, there's a group of friends who are kind of all kind of in the, the 1960s, not necessarily hippies, but they were very much about like the counterculture and, you know, and change the world and all this kind of thing. And, and one of their group commits suicide. And so they all get together at, uh, at the home of, you know, one of their mutual friends to spend the weekend together to attend the funeral and to kind of re- reflect on their lives. And it's, it's set in the early 1980s. And so they're about 10, 15 years removed from kind of their heyday. And so they're looking back on, well, this is what we planned on doing with our lives. And instead we all took these paths and what went wrong and what's why, why did we do this? And, and so the movie itself is this very kind of adult drama um, but it's it's scored with all of their favorite songs from when they were back in college, and and, and so it's a it's a very 1960s heavy um, soundtrack, and was played constantly for me as a kid. You know, in, in my, our family trips, just driving around town. I mean, I knew this soundtrack front to back, and even though it kind of took time for it to settle in as one of my favorite soundtracks. Uh, you know, I still appreciated it as a kid. And, and so the songs on this uh, largely were responsible for introducing me to Motown and a lot of kind of like 1960s R&B and stuff. But it also had like Creedence Clearwater Revival is on this soundtrack. The band is on this soundtrack. Uh, 
You also have uh, the Beach Boys, you know, are on it. Um, but one of their kind of their non-surfing songs. Um, a song that didn't make the soundtrack, but might be one of my favorite songs ever, is uh, You Can't Always Get What You Want from the Rolling Stones, which is featured during a funeral scene at the beginning. And uh, Whiter Shade of Pale by Procol Harum is on there. And it's just, it's just one after the other that have become so iconic that that's why I think people kind of almost looked at the soundtrack as a cliche. Like it was, it was famously criticized in uh, High Fidelity, Jack Black has like some really his character has some really snide things to say about oh well you can't like anything off the big chill trip big chill soundtrack because <laughs> it's a cliche right um another movie with a great soundtrack by the way uh but uh yeah just because the the big chill just it's it's track record is so you know like because like i say from Marvin Gaye doing I Heard It Through the Grapevine, The Rascals doing Good Lovin', you have Tracks My Tears from Smokey Robinson and the Miracles, uh, you have you know, uh, My Girl by The Temptations, it's just one after another that just hits it out of the park, and yeah, just, uh, I it's kind of one of those ones where I really have a tough time thinking of something that would compete with it, mm-hmm. but... Uh, those are great songs. Yeah. I mean, those, those are, are yeah. I'm looking through we, them. We oh so, no, it's yeah, fantastic. My wife and I went and saw the Temptations with the Utah Symphony at Deer Valley. Oh, nice, nice. And that's their big song. It was funny when they announced it because everyone wants them to play it, and it was it was yeah. one of their last five or seven songs they played, and they're like, and now we're gonna play the Temptations national anthem, my girl. <laughs> that's how they introduced it because they know that's their biggest song, you know. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, mm-hmm. but they are, I mean, they have a ton of great songs. Mm-hmm. They Holy do. cow. Like that's just the tip of the iceberg. That's just their most famous, but yeah. 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 No, it's, it's great stuff. Um, but man, I mean, I'm, and it, we're having this discussion and I'm thinking, Oh, well, what about like, you know, pirate radio and what about sing street? And oh yeah. Uh, all these, all these other ones. I was wondering if you were going to do sing street. Yeah. yeah. No, no. There and it was, it ones. was, because like I said, like I, I, I knew for sure that, okay, well, I've got to have Blues Brothers. I've got to have Big Chill. But the third one is kind of this wild card where right. there's like three dozen competitors. And, and I felt like, well, I want to choose something that represents this idea of the director who's associated with awesome soundtracks, right? Yeah. And so, so, I do, so should I do a Tarantino one? Should I do, you know, should I do a Wes Anderson one? Should I do a Cameron Crowe? Because any of those three, like, you know, would be excellent choices. But, but so I'm I'm so glad that Mark brought up Guardians of the Galaxy because that way I could kind of shoehorn that. Because <laughs> that that one, like I said, even oh, even if great. they had they hadn't included any more music for the rest of that movie, that opening scene would have been uh, a uh, a heartfelt one for me. So yeah, it's yeah. a great one. It, it's it's such a funny movie too. Such an underrated comedy. I was just going to say, I remember being in the theater and not expecting to really laugh that much at a superhero movie, and we just laughed the whole time. I mean, it's so many jokes in it, and Steven Spielberg released a list a couple years ago of his top 20 movies of all time, and that was the newest one. That was oh, the, really? The most recent one. Oh, it was that's like 2014, fun. I think, was Guardians of the Galaxy. 2014, yep. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, that's a great one. Well, my mind started going in this tangent of, like, second-guessing myself, right? But I'm like, there are some where it's, like, kind of funny. And, like, my mind hadn't even gone there to consider ones like that, you know? Um, but then I started thinking of ones like uh, Shrek, the first and second one. Have you mm-hmm. good soundtracks, actually? Oh, yeah. Um, or, like, Pitch Perfect, I think, is 
really, really good, but like, you know, it's kind of goofy. The characters are sort of goofy, right? Another one that applies with the whole like struggling artist thing, right? But mm-hmm. those are great. Those are great lists too. Part of what was hard too is that I could think of I could think of soundtracks that had one great song. Mm-hmm. But right? maybe not the whole soundtrack. You know, because I mean the karate kid the I mean the way that they use that that You're song the at the closing month yeah, is so <laughs> awesome. yeah. it's so funny. Or Love or it. the Back to the Future soundtrack, right? You, Power, like, of Love. Power of Love yeah. has gotta be one of the all time soundtrack okay. songs. That yeah. was so good. I mean, because I didn't because because of my age, mm-hmm. I didn't listen to a lot of top forty pop music when I was a kid growing up in the eighties because mm-hmm. I didn't have any older siblings, and so most, and like I said, most of the time driving around in the car, I was listening to my parents' tapes, right? Mm-hmm. So we listened yeah. to Big Chill. Um, but the 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 con- the contemporary music I was exposed to was usually the stuff that was in movies, and yeah. so it was, yeah. you know, it was Power of Love, it was you know uh, the Ghostbusters theme with you know Ray <laughs> Parker, Ray Parker Jr. Yeah, yeah. And, Danger Zone, uh, Top Danger Zone, <laughs> right? Exactly, you know, perfect, and yeah. so. So that's, I, I knew that stuff long before I really kind of embraced, because I had this great kind of phase later on in life where I, I kind of went back and and discovered for me the first time a lot of the music that was popular while I was a kid, but I just wasn't aware of it. Like, you know, the specials and, and the so English funny. beat and, and you know, the, cl- the Clash and all this stuff. I went yeah. through the same thing. Yeah, I did not like, I always say I did not I did not like 80s music in the 80s. Like, I just didn't listen to it in the 80s, even the early 90s. It was either 60s music, like, you know, Beatles, Led Zeppelin, Pink Floyd, Creedence, Jimi Hendrix. I, I was listening yeah, to that right. stuff when I was, like, 13, you know, 12, 13, 14. Or it was, yeah. there was a little bit of a butt rock phase, I guess, you know, Guns N' Roses and those guys. But then it was the grunts. It was, like, all of that Nirvana, Pearl Jam, right. you know, stuff. So, yeah, but then later, I, I discovered... Well, I mean, I didn't discover, but, uh, you know, we talked about that. U2 and the Pest Mode yeah. for me, U2, The Cure. And this is, yeah. like, in my 20s. Like, wow, these, these are, they're amazing, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I have a question for you guys. And this yes. might be, like, an ending question just to, because we've been recording for so long. But hey, um, honest, Honestly, we are, <laughs> considering what that. I thought this could have been, this, I, this, <laughs> We'll have We're doing to re- okay. We'll have to release this as a double disc set, like the Forrest Gump. <laughs> there we go. Okay, flip the cassette <laughs> over. You can now flip to side B. <laughs> you know, I, I was just thinking with uh, what Josh was saying about like how there will be like one song that you really enjoy, and something that I noticed too is like, um, and then I'm wondering if you guys have a song like this, but a song that you're just excited every time it comes up in a movie, because there's a lot of songs that are kind of repeatedly used, right? And one that I, the one that I would pick for this for me is Where Is My Mind, where Ugh. I love it when there, and, and there will be like different variations of it, like, um, uh, uh, Mark, I think you mentioned this, where it's like a soundtrack that like you've never even seen the movie before. I love the soundtrack for Sucker Punch, but I've never seen that movie. But like, they, they have a cover of Where Is My Mind in it, and like, um, yeah. there's a piano version of it that's just gorgeous, or of course, you know, the classic. Um, Fight Club, you know, that ending like, oh my goodness, it's so good like, because that was the original up, one, wasn't that's it? that's the original, like, the, the yeah. one in Fight Club was the Pixies version, yeah, yeah. and yeah. That, that's a song that, you know, people have said like, 
um, it being featured in a movie boosted it, right? So, um, yeah. you know, there's an argument for it there. But I just, I love that song. I think, it, you know, it's got these fun lyrics. It can be kind of manipulated. Like, I think it was used in a Mr. Robot promotion, uh, promotional ad thing uh, where it was kind of, like, digitized, sort of. So, like, I think it's just such a malleable song that I just, I love it every time that it pops up. So I wondered if you guys had a song That's like a, that. That is a cool scene when they're, I think, Helena Bonham Carter and, and uh, Ed Norton are holding hands watching the buildings explode, and that's that's yeah, a funny right, point, right? right? Yeah. It, yeah. Just with and that guitar. showing them from the back, yeah. Oh, it's it's beautiful. It's, it's a cool. great ending scene. So, yeah. so Danny, I've got a I've got an answer to your question that might not totally fit the question, but okay. I think will still work. Okay. Because just off, I mean, because I'm sure I have more appropriate answers that I'm just not thinking of right now, and I'll probably think of five minutes after we stop the recording, and then we'll be like texting um, each other afterwards, like, oh, exa- I can't yeah, believe, right, right, yeah. Can you can you dub this over my, you know, and have this, maybe have me say this instead? No, but uh, because one that was kind of fun was not necessarily a song that's like an all time favorite song that I love it whenever it pops up, but it was a song. Well, see, now I'm thinking of like more examples too, right. where, cause I've, I've had, now that I'm thinking of it, multiple encounters where a song that I previously liked, but never really expected to hear in a movie came up and was just kind of this bonus, like, oh, that's awesome. I did. Oh, I can't believe they're using such and such. Right. Yeah. Um, the first, the first one that sprang to mind is at the very beginning of Endgame, the Avengers Endgame. When they use traffics, dear uh, Mister Fantasy, and and which is obscure enough that you might not know what I'm talking about, just as I'm as I'm describing it. Yeah. Um, but it's the song that I loved back when I was kind of in my psychedelic '60s phase as a <laughs> as a teen, wearing tie dyed shirts and listening to you know early Steve Winwood and all this kind of stuff. And to yeah. hear that just pop up out of nowhere on on Endgame was was great. Um, another one, kind of on a similar note, the original, uh, the first Doctor Strange movie uses a really obscure early track from Pink Floyd called Interstellar Overdrive. Like when he gets in his Lamborghini and takes off on his drive right before he wrecks, Interstellar Overdrive is the track that's playing. And it's like nothing even close to the wall or or even you know dark side of the moon it's it was literally on their first album with their original lead singer who got kind of kicked out of the band because he had drug issues and psych you know psychiatric breakdowns and stuff but uh, yeah yeah Yeah. uh it was it was one of the it's just a purely instrumental track but I'm, you know, watching Doctor Strange and hey, Interstellar Overdrive, right? <laughs> on, you know, so so it's not something that I've seen more than once. That it's like, oh, I love it whenever they use this song, but it still kind of had a fun. Once I heard it, I was just excited to hear it. Mm-hmm. I love that. I love that a lot. Yeah. yeah. Mark, do you have a song that you like when it pops up? Or? Um, I mean, I I like the use of of Arcade Fire's "Wake Up." Secret Life of Walter Mitty. Oh, that's a really gosh, cool yeah. scene. Um, yeah. And uh, and that song is just it, it's just so powerful and motivational mm-hmm. and and it's it's awesome. Um, in the Royal Tenenbaums, there's a scene where it's a song called "These Days" by Nico, but it's actually by Jackson Brown, but it's covered by Nico. I'm going to correct you, Mark. Oh, because oh. I believe 
that Jackson Brown wrote it either oh, for yeah. Nico, I, but she recorded yeah, it first, right. and then later he, he decided it. to go ahead and record his own version of it. So his version came later than hers. So is that the first version then, the Nico version is the first I one? I believe so. Okay, if okay. My, if my nerdy, okay. uh, you know, no, my, my encyclopedic you. Yeah. knowledge of irrelevant <laughs> rock and roll history notes serves yeah. me right. Well, he he wrote it, but yeah. I believe she was the. I think he either wrote it for her, uh-huh. or he wrote it and she recorded it, and then he didn't record it himself later. Interesting. And Danny, well, feel free to cut all that out. Because well, you're good. No, after leave an it hour in. and a half, I'm sure people don't want to hear me lecture on the chronology <laughs> of the song these days by Jackson Brown. It's it's a great scene because it's like he has this. He he, he kind of has this crush on on her. You know, his his adopted sister Margot. It's a weird movie. But anyway, like, she's coming, you know, out of this bus, the Green Line bus, and he's sitting there at a bench, and then it's, like, slow motion. She's just coming in slow motion. You see her hair barely waving, and they play that song, and then they, they kind of gather in this just soft hug, and it's a really cool scene in a, in a cool song. Well, and can I, can I say, since, since we're on this note, and since if anybody's still listening, they're just they're with us. So. <laughs> they're committed. But... One of the things I absolutely adore about Wes Anderson's soundtracks is the way that he uses a very specific era of the Rolling Stones catalog. Mm. Like, because there's a lot of well-known Rolling Stones songs, and of course their catalog, you know, spans decades upon decades. But what I love is that he has a way of picking out songs from kind of their post-satisfaction, early kind of rock and roll stuff but before they kind of turned into the world's greatest rock and roll band and started just doing kind of exile on main street, you know, 1970s, like he, there, there was this avant-garde really experimental phase where if you know the band, well, Brian Jones was doing a lot of like, they were using sitars in songs and doing a lot of, it was kind of almost like Baroque type music. And it's like this 1965, 66, 67 stretch and Wes Anderson picks out, you know, in multiple movies, he, and the one, the one that he uses in Tenenbaums is uh, she, she smiled sweetly. That's the one that, that when they, when they decide to lie down and just kind of like have a moment in the tent and they put the record on, on Margot's little record player, it's the Between the Buttons album from the Stones. And it's that song that, you know, and I've got that same album and that was one of my favorite albums. And it just, a, you know, because it's it's so weird because it's just not a very well known stretch for the Stones in terms of those songs. Because usually you think about it in terms of "Start Me Up" or you know "Satisfaction" or you know "Jumping Jack Flash" and stuff like that. But I love how he kind of just dug into that that weird little window of theirs. But yeah, end tangent. <laughs> I I you mentioned Pulp Fiction. That's a great soundtrack. It's another one that I I feel like I kind of wore out listen to it all the time yeah um it had a, a song i think it's a cover but you could correct me by urge, <laughs> urge overkill called girl you'll be a woman soon i believe it's do a you want to know who it's a cover up yeah i was gonna it's say yeah diamond. it's a neil diamond song and it is a neil diamond song. yeah and it's got son of a preacher man and yep, it has yep. uh let's stay together um oh my gosh yeah and see and that was one of those ones where i already knew the song but uh-huh. when i heard it in pulp fiction just Mm. you know just yeah. propelled it to the top that and what and, uh, 
the other one? It's Count the Flowers on the Wall. That don't bother me at all. I can't remember what oh, that's the, the called. Oh, Statler, the Statler Brothers. Statler Flowers Brothers. on the Wall. Yeah. yeah. It's, yeah. Um, <laughs> a lot of cool songs. And see, that was one where I don't, I had, I hadn't heard like almost any of those songs when I listened to that soundtrack. Yeah. You know, and it was, yeah. it was cool. Um, Garden State, you know. Uh-huh. A, a yeah, that was a good Early, one. early cold play from their first album. It has Don't Panic on it and Andrew Bird. Um, Lots of good stuff from the Shin. The Shin era. song, I think, is the one that everybody remembers the best, right? Oh yeah, when they're both listening to it, Zach Braff and Natalie Portman yeah. listen to it on the headphones. Yeah, they. Because well, isn't, isn't that where they point and say they say they accuse Natalie Portman's character of being the the manic pixie dream girl? Right, I think they the, do because she's like, oh, you got to listen to this song; it'll change your life. Yeah, and they they have two songs <laughs> by the Shins. I think that Tearing is creepy and New Sling. I think are okay. both on there. Um, but that's a cool that's a cool soundtrack, and then. A couple other ones, Last Action Hero. That's a lot of butt rock. Really? A lot of like that 80s. Oh man, I don't even remember that one. I mean, I remember the movie, but I don't remember the soundtrack at Go all. Go and look up the soundtrack. It's really, it's really awesome. It's a lot of okay. cool okay. stuff. Um, and then uh, Frida, kind of a curveball choice, but Frida has yeah. a lot of cool music that it's probably music you'll never hear anywhere else. Burn It Blue and um, some, some uh, Hispanic Mexican music that's got some really cool flamenco guitar work and uh, yeah. I like that soundtrack. That's another one I've, I've listened to a ton. Okay. So, so now I've, now I've got a question for Danny. Okay. So do you have, I mean, how do you feel about Boz Lerman soundtracks? Like Moulin Romeo, Pules, Juliet, Moulin Rouge, Oh, like the jukebox soundtrack kind of stuff. Or... Well, just because cause they're taking popular songs, yeah. but then kind of converting them into this musical style. Yeah, I listen. That just I don't know. I just that just strikes me as something that you would find yeah. interesting, and so no. I'm interested to see how what you, what you think of that. Um, I I haven't seen um, Romeo and Juliet one, but um, Moulin Rouge I listened to often, and that was another one where like I'd only seen parts of it. Um, uh, the Elephant Love Medley, I think, is right. just like one of the most beautiful songs ever. That was my favorite song for a very long time. Um, so, yeah, no, I definitely, I, I, I really like that one. I'm not familiar off the top of my head of any other ones, but yeah, no, that's definitely something up my alley. Plus, I feel bad something that would be up my alley. I haven't even said anything about Disney songs. Minus like a slight reference to Coco. And we could almost right. do a whole episode on, on Disney music. And, and I mean like um, a lot of it's like musical yeah. stuff, right? So like, I mean, yeah. But one that's technically not a musical, and it is my favorite Disney soundtrack for anyone who is wondering, it's Tarzan. I grew up watching that movie okay. on repeat. Mm. My first phrase was more Tarzan, you know? Like this, this was a very <laughs> important, you know, you're talking about foundational stuff. That is as foundational as you can get, but... um. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, if um, anyone ever asks if you like Phil Collins, do you know what to say? You say, I've got, I've got two ears and a heart, don't I? That's from 30 Rock. <laughs> oh, but, yeah. 30 Rock. Well, can you, you know what the other response is? <laughs> what? No woman can ever truly love a man who listens to Phil Collins. <laughs> I thought that was... That was from Sing Street. Oh, okay. Uh, oh, that's true, huh? That's right. Because when the big brother, when, yep. when the, the kid is like, yeah, and then you know her boyfriend came and drove off, and he was he was listening to his radio real loud. And what was he listening to? Phil Collins, or he was listening to Genesis. He's like no woman can ever truly. He's like this is, this is not a problem. This is not a problem. No woman can ever truly love a man who listens to Phil Collins. Which is funny because I actually do like Genesis, and so you know 
Uh, but that's you a, feel a little called yeah. out on that one, huh? Here's a, quick, a little bit. But. I, I know this is really long, but I have one quick question. Is sure. Once a musical? Once, that would be my kind of territory of like inside Lewin Davis and that kind of stuff. But like, oh my goodness. Like, Falling Slowly is one of the best songs ever. Because oh. the characters, I mean, they sing the songs, but it's not like random people who are non-singers right. breaking into songs, right? Exactly. It's part no, of the exactly. Exactly. It's so, I mean, it would be like something that would be on my list. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Okay. Right. No, I and oh, because I love well because that one. the the oh Blues gosh. Brothers you can because you can argue that the Blues Brothers is a musical because they do have characters kind of break out into some weird song and dance you know not they kind of do yeah like you know, in the like in the, 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 diner. the Aretha Franklin right. scene and the, mm-hmm. the the Ray Charles shake a tail feather you know but mm-hmm. uh, no because that that I was thinking that same thing with like Once and with Sing Street you know but uh, I think I think in the case of Once they are performing songs because they are a yeah. band that is recording music. And yeah. so even though it feel, it has some of that musical feel, I would still mm-hmm. classify it as, you know, of course, at the same time, I think there's a difference between a, a, a soundtrack where the people in the movie are performing the music versus guardians of the galaxy, where they're taking popular songs and playing those popular songs on the soundtrack. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 But, uh, We've we've probably differentiated between <laughs> stuff already. And we have maybe need to wrap. We probably this up. need to wrap it up. Oh, oh, brother, that's the one other one yep. that I, I did yeah. talk about too. That I wrote a paper on that one in college. I actually, I wrote about uh, it was a folklore class, and so I wrote about the soundtrack to Oh, Brother, Where Art Thou. So definitely mm. love that one. That's fun. But, also, yeah. I, I was realizing, I said that wrong, that when I was talking about my musical tastes, well, not that anyone cares by now, but, like, <laughs> I did listen to you 2 I did hear you 2 in Depeche Mode in my teens, but I got into them even more I'm later. I'm glad you clarified that, Mark, because but then, like, the cure, that could have been never real. Heard them. I know. The Cure <laughs> is weird, because for how good they are, I don't think I'd ever heard them all till I don't always remember hearing them till like, my 20s. Same with the Pixies. You know, like that's another yeah, the, band. The Pixies for sure. This was never yeah. introduced to me as as a teenager. So it's funny how we go through different musical phases based on, yeah. you know, discovering them at a certain yeah. certain well, age. And, and I right. think that discovery, if we want to wrap it up this way, is just like great way to discover music is through these movies, right? And so, like you know, it's when you watch these movies that's when you establish that connection with the songs, right? Like, you know, that's a great way to find the popular hits. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Well, and on, on that note, if if anyone who's who's managed to listen this far and has stuck with us all the way through this, if you are inspired by any of our choices or if you have any choices to share, please pass them along. We are definitely excited to hear new, new music and would love to think that some of our choices have maybe expanded your own libraries a little bit. Uh, make comments, drop us emails, have a great time, and hope that your uh, summer is unfolding well. And we'll catch you with our next episode. 